The reading this morning is from Psalm 127. Unless it is the Lord who builds the house, the builder's work is pointless. Unless it is the Lord who protects the city, the guard on duty is pointless. It is pointless that you get up early and stay up late, eating the bread of hard labor because God gives sleep to those he loves. No doubt about it, children are a gift from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a divine reward. The children born when one is young are like arrows in the hand of a warrior. The person who fills a quiver full with them is truly happy. They won't be ashamed when arguing with their enemies in the gate. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Jenny. All right, I'm going to try to get this to be... I was just saying to Brody, this is not my usual spot. I'm not in the godly playroom, so I feel very, um, not very, but a little a little out of place with like this instead of cross-legged on the floor in a circle. All right. Good morning. I know y'all aren't awake, so I'm not going to make you do that again. Um, I'm Meg, Pastor Meg. I think most people know that. Um, but yeah, it's good to be here. Um, I get to share with you this morning, which is always equal parts exciting and terrifying. Um, but yeah, I'm excited to share. I will give the disclaimer that this sermon combines uh, some of my favorite things which includes um, North Carolina history and flowers. Um, So, you know, take it for what it is. So um, I'm going to pray real quick before I start. Dear Jesus, I pray that the words of my heart, uh, or the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts will be acceptable to your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. All right. So... Brandon Dorn's photography has been a really cool companion on my Lenten journey this year. Um, You'll notice on your bulletin that's a different image than last week. If you came on Ash Wednesday, you got to see all of the images. Um, And he has a book um, called Fallen Things, and you can check out the website in the back if you're interested in checking that out. But um, yeah. They've just, it's been an unexpectedly helpful companion in my Lenten journey so far. Um, So he photographs trash, basically. Um, And, you know, things that are left behind, whether it's broken furniture or an abandoned car or boat left along the roadside, or like today's picture, um, an entire building that has been left unoccupied long enough that um, it started to be reclaimed by nature. Um, So this idea of looking for trash uh, has changed the way that I have observed my surroundings on my walks around Hillsborough, where I live. So Hillsborough is a really historic city, if you don't know. Um, It was the capital of colonial North Carolina for a hot minute. Um, So I'm constantly surrounded by things that have been left behind by lots of different people. Um, There's signs and historical markers everywhere. And in just like my little neighborhood, like not just the whole city, but just my neighborhood, 
has been home to the Eno, Okanichi, Shakori, Sapani, and Lumbi peoples. Um, it's been home to poor colonial farmers, wealthy planters, enslaved Africans. It was also home to a military academy for boys. Um, around the corner from my house, there's uh, a home that a family lives in that used to be like the headmaster's house that looks like a castle, has like turrets and stuff. Um, and across the street from that is uh, like the original little like wooden chapel that the boys would go in uh, for their like uh, chapel time. Um, and that all of those are still in, you know, the, the chapel is still in use by a small Anglican church and the, there's a family that lives in that house. Um, so my home is relatively modern. It was built in 1916. Um, but, uh, even with our relatively modern house, every time there's a heavy rain, if you go into my backyard, you will see bits of broken glass and pottery. And um, you know we have to keep our, our shoes on in our backyard um, because the people who used to live there buried their trash in the backyard. And so their trash is left behind and it gets washed up every time it rains. Um, the oldest things that we've found so far are um, from the 1940s, but I imagine we'll probably find some older things eventually. Um, my kids go to school in a building that used to be the Eno Cotton Mill, uh, whose massive windows used to open to allow for ventilation and cooling in the summertime, long before air conditioning. Uh, surrounding the mill was the Mill Village, uh, which is about 150 small houses that the company provided for its employees. Uh, families lived and worked in these neighborhoods for almost 50 years until the mill houses were removed, sold off for $25 a room, and relocated to other parts of town. Uh, what used to be a close-knit, thriving community is now Okanichi Mountain State Park, the Hillsborough Riverwalk, and Gold Park. Uh, the forest has reclaimed these neighborhoods, and aside from broken glass and pottery along the trail after a rainstorm, and the occasional pile of bricks and large stones that were the foundations of these houses, there is absolutely no trace of the people who lived there. 150 houses. That is a pretty large footprint to just disappear. So in a world where a thriving neighborhood can disappear in a generation or two, I can't help but wonder what does last. Psalm 129 speaks to the futility of work outside of God's blessing and provision. It sounds like something out of Proverbs, and that's because it's a wisdom psalm. It's attributed to Solomon, which is fitting since he's the wisdom guy of the Old Testament. Uh, and Solomon, of course, is both the physical extension of the house of David, but also the builder of the temple, so the literal brick-and-mortar house of God. He speaks with confidence of a wealthy and powerful king with many wives and many children. But Solomon's kingdom split shortly after his death, and the temple that he built was destroyed by the Babylonians, and there is no trace of it today. Yet the psalm remains. It was picked up and adopted as part of the road trip mixtape known as the Psalms of, of Ascent, uh, this psalm was surely on Jesus' lips when he journeyed with his family from Nazareth to Jerusalem to celebrate the high holy days as a young boy. And later, when he turned towards Jerusalem for the last time, I wonder if this song was in his heart. A man who was not a father himself, but nonetheless sent forth his disciples like arrows into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the whole earth.
I can't read Psalm 127 without thinking about the poem On Children by Khalil Gibran. I'm going to read it for you now. And a woman who held a babe against her bosom said, Speak to us of children. And he said, Your children are not your children. They are the sons and daughters of life's longing for itself. They come through you, but not from you. And though they are with you, yet they belong not to you. You may give them your love, but not your thoughts, for they have their own thoughts. You may house their bodies, but not their souls, for their souls dwell in the house of tomorrow, which you cannot visit, not even in your dreams. You may strive to be like them, but seek not to make them like you. For life goes not backwards, nor tarries with yesterday. You are the bows from which your children as living arrows are sent forth. The archer sees the mark upon the path of the infinite, and he bends you with his might that his arrows may go swift and far. Let your bending in the archer's hand be for gladness, for even as he loves the arrow that flies, so he loves also the bow that is stable. This poem was published in 1923. And it's entirely possible that in that same year, a woman, because let's face it, it's almost always the women, planted daffodil bulbs outside her home near the Eno cotton mill. It was on Amos Street with a lovely view of the river and a quick walk to work for her husband. When she put those bulbs in the ground, she probably couldn't imagine a day when her home would be lifted off its foundation and hauled to the other side of the railroad tracks. Nor did she imagine that the building just over the bridge would stop producing gingham, plaid, and denim and would eventually become a place where children learn to read and count and wonder about the world. How could she imagine that in 2022, I would be hiking the park and see her daffodils lighting up the gray early spring landscape and know that she had been there all those years before and planted those flowers? That her flowers would be all that's left of Amos Street and the people who live there. We aren't always great at knowing what will last. The things that look sturdy and durable to us, wealth and power and prestige and security, and even our own bodies. There is so much that we can neither predict nor control. We can't visit the house of tomorrow. We don't know for sure if it's our trash or our songs or our flowers that will endure. Probably some combination of the three for most of us. But we do know that God's work does endure. We are co-laborers with Christ in building up the kingdom of God. So when we bend to Christ's will by pouring God love and neighbor love into the world, we can have confidence that the Lord will be faithful to use our bending to launch arrows swift and far towards the house of tomorrow. One reason why I love the church's tradition of practicing Lent is that it's been really helpful in making me a more stable bow. Through the traditional practices of self-denial, prayer, and generosity, we bend ourselves, body and mind and spirit, towards the pattern of Christ-likeness. During Lent, I give up something to make space in terms of time and attention and resources. This self-denial, however small, encourages me to rely on God's provision 
and to look towards how I can better serve others. A word of caution, however. We should be careful when we observe Lent that we don't veer towards legalism. This happens when we allow what we do or don't do to move us, or we, excuse me, when we don't allow what we do or don't do to move us towards God, but instead see it as another set of rules to keep. This kind of religious practice doesn't really get us anywhere. It's also really easy to co-op Lent as an opportunity for self-improvement. And there's nothing wrong with focusing on reducing your consumption of unhealthy food or exercising more or decluttering your house. But these are not Lenten practices when they're separated from your relationship with God. Cole author Arthur Riley of Black Liturgy said recently, if your Lenten practice is a self-improvement plan emptied of provision and care for the vulnerable, it is right to question it. We don't get free alone. Lent is not an excuse to motivate you to hustle harder. Both legalism and self-improvement will render one's observance of Lent, to borrow from Psalm 127, pointless. And please hear this. Your observance of Lent, just like everything else about your life and your walk with the Lord, doesn't have to look like anybody else's. There is nothing inherently holy about giving up chocolate or eating fish on Fridays. The point of any Lenten practice is moving us towards Christ-likeness, which is why there are three pillars of Lent, and not just one, self-denial, prayer, generosity. I feel like the prayer and generosity get forgotten when we just talk about what you're going to give up. But think of Jesus, who emptied himself of all power and privilege in order to be with us. We, or who as human, himself fasted from food at certain times in order to devote himself to prayer, who didn't have a lot of money or even a home of his own. Jesus practiced self-denial in so many ways, but always in ways that created space for greater connection to the Father and greater availability to love and serve others. In Lent, we follow the pattern set forth by Christ, who emptied himself even of his own life for the sake of others, for us. I also want to acknowledge that it's entirely possible that you have endured so much pain and sacrifice in the past two years of pandemic life that you don't need to give up anything else. Perhaps you have already been bent and maybe even broken. Perhaps God is calling you to carve out some time to just fall into the arms of Jesus and receive comfort and healing. If you want a Lent and a life that builds towards something lasting, Listen to God's voice speaking to you. Stop hustling. Get quiet. Hear whatever it is that God wants to say to you. If you present yourself to the Lord as a child who is willing to be about her heavenly Father's business, God will not refuse you. There are open arms waiting for you. If you don't know what it means to get quiet and listen to God, or if you've known but you've forgotten and you want some help, Please talk to me or Chris or Brody. Getting quiet can be confusing or scary or just hard sometimes, and we would love to help you discern God's voice. I pray that this week, your bending in the archer's hand will be for gladness and that God will use you to build something lasting and strong and beautiful. I'm gonna pray real quick for us. Lord God, thank you for being strong and steadfast and steady, 
for being the same yesterday, today, and forever, and for inviting us into your work. God, help us to hear your voice and to know what it is that you're calling us to do. And mostly that we just hear and accept and know deep down in our bones how much you love us. Amen.